Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, Eric, we're talking about Riccardo Zandonai's Francesca da Rimini, which debuted in Turin in 1914. Uh, not terribly well-known work, not terribly well-performed. Uh, Especially not on these shores. Uh, you, you'd be more likely to hear it in Italy. You know, in the United States, really only the Met, as far as I know, has done it in the last half century at all. And even then, they, they mounted a production for Renato Scotto in the mid-'80s, and they're about to revive it, or they have re- revived it again uh, recently for another c- couple of singers. But... Other than that, it's it's hard to come by in these in these parts. Let's talk about Zandonai. Is this the only opera he wrote? It's not, but it's the only one that we really have a chance of hearing. <laughs> and and even then, as we just said, uh, it's it's pretty scarce. Zandonai was a pupil of of Pietro Mascagni, who was one of the exemplars of the Verismo movement. Uh, Pietro Mascagni, who of course wrote Cavalleria Rusticana, uh, L'Amico Fritz, uh, a number of other very successful Verismo works. Zandonai was part of a generation of composers who attempted to take some of the tenets of Verismo and transfer it into a new, more modern idiom, sort of more fused with romantic compositional styles. Um, He was (laughs) accused, as many people were in those days, of Wagnerism. Ooh, bad, (laughs) bad. We don't want that. Because he, he eschewed numbers opera. I mean, even Verismo, you can excerpt arias and and numbers from the opera. When you say numbers, you mean like duets or trios? Quartets. Exactly. And numbers connected by recitative. In, in by the time we get to Zandonai, there is no more recitative. It's just one continuous three-composed act by act. So he was c- accused of Wagnerism for that reason, as was Debussy, who sort of was attempting to do something of the same sort, although probably more successfully in the, in the French era idiom. With Pelias and Melisande. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And presumably that that sort of inability to excerpt uh, has an effect on the, the, the reputation of the piece because... And the popularity, you, you, yeah. The popularity because you don't hear arias from it like you would from a, a Verdi or a Puccini piece. Right. The only thing in this score that's really at all known outside of you know hearing the complete opera is... I don't know what you would call it. It's it's an aria, maybe. It's by Francesca. It's called it's called Paolo Datemi Pace, and we we get it in the third act, if I'm not mistaken. And I guess it's an aria, but it's not really even that well known. You don't hear it in vocal competitions, or don't you hear it often in recitals? But it's the one piece in the score that people can point to that say, well, that's pretty well known. Let's talk about the uh, the story of this piece. Francesca da Rimini, of course, is one of the famous uh, inhabitants of Dante's Inferno. Indeed. I think on the, the she and uh, Paolo are on uh, the second circle of hell, where reserved for the lustful. Yes, which is just patently unfair, but okay. <laughs> Francesca is from Ravenna. We're, we're in 13th century Italy. It's still a collection of city-states, Italian city-states, and there are all sorts of rivalries going on, particularly at this time between the, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. We have the Guelphs who were faithful to the Pope and Papists. the Papal States, mm-hmm. and then the Ghibellines who were faithful to the Holy Roman Emperor and his forces, etc. And you have this battle going on that sort of rages in the background of this piece. And Francesca's brother is going to marry her to a family from 
the opposing side from one of the Ghibelline families as a way of forming an alliance. Right, but he's going to pull a bait and switch like <laughs> no one, none other in operatic history. He's going to have Paolo il Bello, Paolo the Fair, uh, one of the three Malatesta brothers, come to achieve getting Francesca's hand in marriage for his brother, John Ciotto. But they don't tell Francesca that. They let her believe that she's going to marry Paolo. She's going to get the cute one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bello. If, if, because... the Mal if the Malatestas were a boy band, Paolo would be the cute one. <laughs> because Gian Ciotto is... Lame. The lame one, and that's He's what his ugly. name means. His, his name is Giovanni, but John Ciotto, Ciotto, C-I-O-T-T-O, in Italian means lame or limping. So he's... He's not pretty. And the thinking is that if Francesca sees him, she's not, she's not going to agree oh, to the marriage. Heck no. <laughs> exactly. So she sees Paolo. Right. And he sees her. They don't, they don't say anything. They just see each other. They're introduced, and they immediately fall in love with each other. Yes, and it's a wonderful scene. It's very atmospheric. As, as you say, neither of them speaks a word or sings a word, for that matter. Uh, but you can really feel the, well, really the erotic tension in the air uh, through, the, through the score. And if you have a really charismatic couple of leads, they can you know, take that and really kind of run with it. We move into Act 2. And we are now in uh, Rimini, right? Which the, is under the, the Malatesta household. Now there's this battle raging, and Francesca is there in the middle of it, on the ramparts in the midst of the battle. Yes, right. exactly. Which is a bit unusual for a woman in 13th century Italy. And who does she meet? Well, Paolo, and it's the first time they've seen one another since. Uh, Francesca has been married to his, his ugly brother, brother John Ciotto. Mm -hmm. And she, she, she rebukes him. She's for... angry at him because she, she doesn't know that he wasn't in on the, on the bait and switch. Right. And he tells her that he, in fact, was not. not. The feeling was very mutual. They, they really did fall in love with one another. And so there she is on the ramparts having this moment with him while the battle rages on. He, he declares his love. I mean, he says, you know, I will do anything for you. If you want me to, to, to go off and die, I will do that for you. But he really is sorry. Yeah. He's as much a victim as she is. Gianciotto arrives with the news that Paolo has been elected as captain of the people and the commune of Florence, which presumably is a big deal. Yes, it's and which also, also sends him away from uh, Rimini, <laughs> which he welcomes at this point because the... He doesn't want to be around Francesca with that temptation, that regret, etc. Exactly, exactly. Then Malatestino, who is the younger of the three brothers, right. comes in. He has been wounded in battle and has lost an eye. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, we've got a... a <laughs> A one-eyed brother, we've got a lame brother, brother, and then we've got the cute one. Pretty guy. <laughs> the cute one. So Paolo really what loses a boy band. <laughs> But Malatestino comes in and is wounded, and Francesca tends to his wounds, binds them up with her using her own scarf as a bandage. Right. And Malatestino goes back into the fray, doesn't he? Indeed. End of Act Two. Yes. Act three, we get to the heart of this piece here because 
This is where, when we see Francesco and Paolo in the Inferno, in Hell, they are reading. And in Act 3, we have Francesca in her room, surrounded by her ladies, and she's reading to them. And she's reading what? <laughs> by no coincidence whatsoever, she's reading the story of Guinevere and Lancelot from the Arthurian tales, uh, which mirrors her own situation. You have uh, Lancelot and Guinevere uh, with an inexorable pull toward one another, despite the fact that Guinevere is married to Arthur. And similarly, Paolo and Francesca are very much in love with one another, despite the fact that she's married to his brother. And then lo and behold, Paolo is announced. He has returned from Florence because he can't stand to be separated from her any longer. Yeah, he came back early for that very reason. And she says to him, come and sit beside me and read this story with me. <laughs> exactly. And they do. <laughs> And, of course, they are overcome by the passion of Lancelot and Guinevere, and they throw themselves at each other. Right. This is, this is the moment where we get Paolo datami pace. Paolo, give me peace, she begs him. And by peace, she means quench this raging passion with inside me. Exactly. Kiss me. Yeah. You know, let's put a stop to this. Kiss me. Yeah. And they do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> End of Act 3. Yeah, right. <laughs> We go into uh, Act 4, and the complications get even more intense because Malatestino, the one-eyed youngest brother, comes in, and he basically tells Francesca, I want you. Yes. <laughs> I want you for myself. She's just catnip for those Malatesta brothers, isn't she? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he even says, I'll poison Gianciotto. I'll get him out of the way, your husband, so that I can have you. She's repulsed by this. She doesn't want anything to do with it. Right. But even so, she hears from below. There's a dungeon below where they are. And one of the prisoners is crying out. And she's, she's upset by hearing that. And so Malatestino goes down through the trapdoor into the dungeon. And as we later find out, he basically just beheads the prisoner to give her uh, a little peace. That's because that's just the kind of guy he is. <laughs> a real insight into his personality. Of Boy, course. howdy. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, he is offended by her rejection of him. And when Gianciotto arrives, he says, guess what? Mm -hmm. Francesca is having an affair with Paolo. Right. And Gianciotto says, prove, prove it. it. So Malatestino says, no problem. Just stick around with me and we'll we'll catch them tonight. So they lie in wait in the middle of the night. Francesca awakes. There's a knock at the door and uh, she welcomes Paolo into her bedroom. And what happens? Well, <laughs> they get caught mid-embrace and Gianciotto comes in, goes to kill Paolo. Paolo is, is about to escape through this trapdoor oh, on the yes, floor. Oh, yes, you're exactly right. And he gets caught. His cloak is caught on the latch. And so as Gianciotto, as she lets Gianciotto in, yeah. thinking that Paolo has is disappeared, gone. he's not because he's hung up on the... Uh, yeah, on half the... of him is still above above the floor level. And Gianciotto goes for him and, and Francesca throws herself between them and takes the knife herself. 
she dies. Yeah. And uh, what does John Chantu do? He finishes <laughs> the job. He kills he kills Paolo as well, so the two of them die in one another's arms. It's a great ending to an opera. Boy, it? howdy. <laughs> <laughs> but what is the beauty of this piece? The beauty is in the atmosphere of the score. The ability to, for Zandonai to set mood uh, in a very romantic way, and yet uh, it has all the sort of passionate outpourings of Verismo uh, in the you know the, the the biggest most melodramatic moments. So it's it's a it's a wedding of the two in a sense. Riccardo Zandonai's Francesca da Rimini. That's this week's opera cheat sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn, and I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.